Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is Mitch Friedman, your host, joined, as always, by my par excellence sound engineer. There's that French again. I'm going to be studying French and giving you a short quiz, Jeff. Par excellence, Jeff Olson. Uh, Today, I want to talk to the church. I'm recording two podcasts today, uh, one for publication on Halloween on the 31st of uh, this month, October, and then one for the end of the week on Friday. So Monday the 31st and then the second, first, second, third, fourth, which is next Friday of November. So I'll be speaking to the church about ideas that are alive and well in the church, uh, uh, somewhat unfortunately, if you will. So this first podcast, which I think will drop on Monday, Halloween, uh, is about the eschaton or uh, the study of eschatology. Uh, eschatology in theological terms is the study of the final events of human history before uh, God ushers in what we know as the eternal state. And there's been a lot of work done in eschatology over the centuries. Most of it, if it's done by solid, uh, measured, mature academics, has been helpful. Uh, There's some that is not helpful, uh, particularly when it focuses on things that can't be known. So the catalyst for this episode is a conversation I had with a couple of friends uh, regarding a conversation they had with a particular church member, Uh, and this church member was very interested in all things eschatological, what was happening at the end, and uh, to the point where this interest was an obsession and a command, really, or a demand uh, that the church do more speaking about eschatology and the return of Christ and the wrapping up of history. Now, let's be clear, uh, a knowledge of eschatology actually enforces our hope because it's really good to know uh, what will happen at the end, but many things we're, we're not told when they will happen. And so an obsession with things eschatological uh, can lead to an unhealthy uh, I would call date-setting mentality, meaning we have an interest to set the date or the season that Christ will return and usher in the wrapping up of human history and the ushering in of the eternal state. So I've titled this episode, uh, I thought of many titles. One title was News Headline Eschatology. Another title was This That I See in the Paper or Watch on TV This news is that reality in the Bible. So this is that and other Christian heresies. My third possible title is, What part of it's not for you to know, don't you understand? So those are the three titles. News headline eschatology, this is that and other Christian heresies, or what part of it's not for you to know, don't you understand? So we've seen this kind of date setting uh, mindset or default or hunger, desire, obsession 
throughout Christian history, and we've had uh, many attempts to set a date of Jesus's return. Uh, some are now failed by several hundred years. Some are failed by about 50 years. But as my sound engineer, Jeff Olson, just pointed out to me, that every attempt to set a date for Jesus's return is a failure because he hasn't come back. And many of these uh, would be, I would call them news headline eschatologists. Uh, when their date fails, they just make sort of a nuanced explanation of why uh, the date wasn't set and maybe adjust their date for another that failed as well. And that's really dangerous for the church, not only for the believers uh, that are interested in eschatology, but the, also the believers who are just kind of new in their faith. And it's really dangerous as a message to the outside world that's watching to see whether the church has something to offer. Now, we want to commend the impulse to want to know and want to tell things about God's plan. And there's plenty of that that's revealed plainly in the scripture. So we commend the impulse and the desire to know and tell, but we cannot align ourselves with things that aren't given to us. We can't align a show-and-tell attitude to things and dates and events where those dates and events haven't been given to us. So every attempt to set a date for Christ's return is actually ignorant. It's without knowledge and by design. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus is about to leave the scene and his disciples, if you know the story, they're all talking just before Jesus has ascended uh, back to heaven. And the, the disciples ask him, Lord, is it at this time that you are going to bring the kingdom for Israel to occupy? And Jesus said, Acts 1-7, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. In Matthew 24, uh, when Jesus was still pre-crucifixion, it it's the latter chapters of Matthew, but Jesus is talking about the end times and all the calamity and all the confusion, all the chaos, all the tragedy about history as it's wrapping itself up. And Jesus says in verse 35 about his teaching, verse 35 of Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then he continues, but about that day or hour, and he's referring to the time of his return and the wrapping up of history, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, he's referring to himself, but only the father. So regarding the date of Christ's return, what we do know is that we don't know. And I've encountered many uh, believers over my pastoral ministry, 25 plus years, that are so consumed with date setting and, and news headline eschatology that they have little energy or bandwidth or interest in anything else. And it gets to the point where it is such a fixation. And some of these believers are very intelligent and we want to commend intelligence. But when intelligence uh, reaches the point of absolute consumption, with content and information and calendaring that we're not supposed to know and won't be given to us, then it's a fruitless and actually sometimes a negative influence on that believer's growth and on that believer's effectiveness as a representative of the kingdom. So what we don't know 
is all by design. Acts 1-7, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So let me just illuminate a few consequences of what I call the failed eschaton, uh, meaning there's a, there's a look into the headlines and the events of world the world at the present time. There's this certainty that Jesus is now right around the corner in his eminence. And it is, Jesus, Jesus told us we're to be ready, we're to be prepared, we're to stay imminently expecting his return. But when we set dates, and those dates pass, we call it a failed eschaton. And here are a few of the consequences for that believer, for that believer's uh, sphere of influence, and maybe that believer's influence in the church that he or she is a member of. The first is what I, I call the equivalency. A failed prophecy of Jesus's return equals a failed or false God. Meaning, if you're so certain that God has revealed this to you and it doesn't work out and the calendar comes and goes on that date, we have this intuition and this impulse to blame God, that God, you are either failed or false. And God, you have made a mistake because I'm certain it says right here in your word, which indicates a lack of knowledge of important parts of the word when it has to do with, his, with Christ's return. One of the worst things we do as believers is to ascribe things to God that God never did, said, or promised. Because what happens is it causes the watching world to blaspheme, meaning it, it gives people another opportunity to dismiss or discount or disregard or disbelieve that there is an actual creator with an actual plan and an actual love for his image bearers and his desire to see them redeemed by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So failed prophecy equals failed or false God and causes the Gentiles, those outside the church in this symbol, to blaspheme. Another consequence of the failed eschaton is what I call inappropriate eminence, and I mentioned this previously, an obsession with future kingdom nearness, meaning it's right around the corner, I'm sure of it, I've looked into the headlines, I've seen the news, an obsession with future kingdom nearness or proximity redirects my energy from primary kingdom issues and disengages me from my calling. The more convinced I am that Christ is knocking at the door, the less energy I have to serve as his ambassador of restoration because I'm waiting for the rapture bus to come pick me up. I've unplugged from my calling. So I call this inappropriate eminence. An obsession with kingdom nearness redirects energy from primary kingdom issues. Now, there's a good conversation we could have. It's not for this particular podcast, but we, we call this conversation a, a reflection on the, the present kingdom and the future kingdom. And Jesus was fairly clear. Uh, let me take fairly out of it. He was clear when he said the kingdom of God is at hand when he walked the earth. And that's the kingdom that we are now occupying that's not yet fully consummated in the eternal state. That is the eternal kingdom. So this might, this might be the most damaging consequence of this obsession with, with kingdom nearness and Jesus's return is that it redirects energy from primary kingdom issues and puts them on secondary and really unknown uh, kingdom information and disengagement from my calling. 
Another consequence, and I've experienced as a pa- as a pastor, uh, when these uh, intellectual uh, date setters, these spiritually uh, mature quote unquote insisters on the date being right around the corner, when they want to uh, uh, to prove to me that I'm either in error or ignorant, uh, it causes a transference of their passion and how they expect others to respond, and these people are disappointed when when we don't return the passion. Uh, so it, it creates division in the body of Christ. It's a transference of passion to the one being, I would say, uh, proselytized to my way of thinking about the eschaton, and then a disappointment and maybe a dismissal as less than spiritual or less than scholarly or less smart uh, when that passion uh, for their plan that they're certain of is not returned. Uh, another consequence is uh, something that may be a little lighthearted, but it's true nonetheless, and it's a quote. Another fruitcake, just in time for Christmas. Uh, and believe me, uh, none of us want to be seen as another fruitcake just in time for Christmas. Uh, but quite honestly, as a pastor, I've had to fight that feeling and you know, I do my best to be gentle and engaging and compassionate to this image bearer who's enslaved by some really bad ideas. And there's, there's no worse idea than uh, one that I've imagined been given to me by the Bible that doesn't exist in the Bible. Again, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Another fruitcake just in time for Christmas. And now if I transfer the last consequence back to Old Testament days, uh, hey, want to get stoned? Because the Old Testament mandate was if a prophet was shown to be in error, then the consequence was grab a rock. So these are a few of the consequences of the failed eschaton. So regarding the date of Christ's return, what we do know is that we don't know. But what we do know now is that we are to be at work until Christ's return. And this is the right passion and direction of our lives while we, ex- while we wait expectantly for Jesus to come, but without some obsessive need to set dates based on headlines or world events. In Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 11 through 13, Jesus is, is continuing a conversation with his disciples as they watch Jesus's conversation with Zacchaeus. You remember the wee little man? You want to sing the song, Jeff? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see. Remember that, Luke 19? So Zacchaeus, as you know, uh, was a very curious seeker, so much so that he ascended above the crowd so he could watch Jesus. Jesus came into his house. Uh, Zacchaeus, having Jesus in his house, ended up repenting of his ways and committing his life to Christ. And Jesus said uh, at the end of, of this conversation with Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house today. And the very next statement uh, that follows in Luke 19, verse 11, while they were listening to this, that's his disciples listening to his conversation with, with Zacchaeus, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and there were some date setters in the crowd. He was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Jesus said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So, you know, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So if I can just exposit this, this is Jesus speaking of himself. A man of noble birth went to a distant country 
So this is about uh, his, his identity as the Son of God, the Messiah on earth. And once crucified and resurrected, he's going to return to heaven until he comes back again. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Busy yourself with my work, he said, until I come back. Uh, the King James Version says, occupy until I return. So what we do know about Christ's return is that he is coming back. What we are to be busy about is not unhealthy obsession about the date of his return, but by occupying as agents of restoration with the resources that he's given us. He called 10 of his servants and gave them resources. Busy yourself with my work, he said, until I come back. The kingdom of God and the return of Christ is imminent. And my task, my role, my privilege, my calling is to busy myself with his work until he returns so that when he does return, I am found faithful. For The Pinocchio Project, this is Mitch Friedman signing off. Thanks so much for being with us on The Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening. And remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.